what is the church? What is this that we're doing here today? What does it mean to be part of the church? What does it mean to be a member of the church? Uh, yesterday, uh, oh, she's not here, she's on Kids Church, I think. Yesterday, Bethany and I had a little trip, went down uh, Friday night to Glasgow, stayed over, and then went to uh, Strathclyde University Open Day together. Isn't this mad that my daughter is going off to university soon, perhaps? Uh, it, was, it, was, it was an incredible uh, moment for me just to try and get my head around that. And uh, it was, we had a great day at Strathclyde, and one of the things that they were promoting to us, to Bethany in particular, was that they had 200 clubs and societies. And they said, you know, so the, the, the girl who was sharing this said, you know, so any interest that you might have, there's probably a club for you. Oh, and by the way, if there isn't, you can start one. And the university are very happy for you to do that. Clubs and societies. Is that what church is? A shared interest? A club? No. So much more than that. Here in, in Hillview Community Church, I think this is an exciting moment for us. It's a wee bit quieter today, actually, than it has been for a few weeks, but we're in a season of, of growth, uh, change in the church. There have been, uh, Ian mentioned it at the start of the service, and, and there remain a lot of new faces around the church week by week, and a sort of a, a year on from, you know, regular Sunday morning gatherings, this new sort of school year has marked, I think, a new moment of expectation and, and looking towards the future. And uh, there is, praise God, growing diversity among us as a church. Different ages, you've seen a little bit of that up on the stage just now. Different backgrounds, different nationalities and ethnicities, different relational contexts. Some family, some single, and, and a mix. Some different circumstances regarding health and needs in life different stages in our journey of faith towards life in Christ. And, and this is all just so encouraging, so wonderful. We should love this growing sense of diversity among us in the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because, well, among, there's lots of reasons, but one of them is it's a little taste of heaven. It's a little taste of heaven. Listen to this from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. One of these visions of, of, of the coming new heavens and new earth. After this, John writes, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. A little taste of heaven. So we, we thank God for what He's doing and, and growing us like that. And we, we pray that that would not just be a surface thing, but that that growth would seep into deeply into every sinew that we have as the body of Christ, that we would relish and celebrate how God takes a group of people like us, who, let's be honest, what other thing would gather us together but Jesus? I mean, we're all so different, different opinions, different thoughts, different backgrounds, and all the things I mentioned. What else would gather us together like this on a Sunday morning, pretty much week by week, and through the week in ministries and groups and small groups and home groups, all the rest of it? What else but Jesus? Nothing, right? Amazing. It's awesome. 
Now, into that body of Christ here at Hillview, in the last few weeks, we've had the joy of welcoming a few people into membership. So we welcomed Stephen Smith, and welcomed Tim Sinclair. Uh, in, in a couple of weeks' time, we'll probably welcome Hannah White into membership. Just awesome. And I, 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 you've, you've heard me make certain comments in that context, I've, I've spoken of us as being family. I think that word's been used already this morning. I've mentioned this membership covenant that we have together, these, uh, these promises that we make to one another, gather, pray, care, give, serve, submit, just a little bit of what we're called to within the body of Christ. So we celebrate what God's doing in bringing people, adding to our number, also, in the last week or two, I've had some conversations about people leaving the church. Not, not leaving the church of Jesus Christ, but, but feeling led to a different church home. And you'll hear more about that at the forum on the 30th of October. Just try and keep, keep the church up to date with who's among us in terms of the membership of the church. And then also in the last week, I've had a conversation with someone just at the very earliest stage of exploring life in Jesus, and someone who has felt that spark of new life in Christ, who is now realizing that that new life draws her into a community of faith, a community within which God has established parameters as to what life in Jesus looks like. And that reality that, that this person isn't just alone, but that they're together, and that God has within that context of shared family life, God has ordained certain behaviors and principles and structures for how life should operate. That person is, is grappling with that. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. What does this all mean? Some people joining the church, some people going to a different local church, some people unsure of what it means to, to commit to God within the context of a, of a membership in the body of Christ. We're looking at this this morning. This is what we're exploring. We're taking a little pause from our journey through John. We'll do this periodically. We're, we're, we're halfway through chapter 7 of John, I think. There's 21 chapters in John, so every so often we're going to take little pauses along the way. We'll be back in John next week, I think, God willing, um, and we're pondering what does it mean to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ. Here's the most important thing. Well, it's very important. Don't, I don't know what's the most important thing, but this is important. A Christian is a part of Jesus' church. Okay? Hear me clearly on that. When someone comes to Jesus, someone gives their life to God, when someone is made alive in Christ, they are made alive, they're born again into a family. They're welcomed into a people. And there are many verses in the Scriptures that speak to us as individuals, but I'll be honest, sometimes we take verses that are meant for the whole people of God, and we individualize them a little too much. There are so many important principles that actually we're born again into a family, into the people of God. And that that's what Jesus came to die for. He shed his blood to purchase for himself a people. Okay? And, and in the New Testament, there are a number of different pictures for this. You'll know many of them. For example, there's a picture of the church being like a vine. 
And we are branches in that vine. The, the church is like a flock of sheep. And we are individually sheep within that broader flock. There's the picture of family, and we are children individually that make up that family. There's the picture of a building being raised for the sake of God and His glory, and we are individually stones that make up that building. And, and probably the, the most well-known picture of this, and, and, and maybe the most powerful, is the picture of church as a body. So if you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to turn or find your way in an app to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because this is probably the clearest chapter where this is laid out. And I'm going to read from verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, sorry, I'm in 2 Corinthians 12, that's not good. Well, first, 2 Corinthians 12 is good, but it's uh, just not what I'm looking for right now. <laughs> uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13 to begin with, and then we're going to keep reading on a little bit. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. See, again, just repeated language, one, we're one, we're one, we're one together, right? Now jump down to verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And this is, I think, perhaps the clearest verse in the Scriptures that lay out a picture of, or our beginning uh, picture of what church membership is. Now, you are the body of Christ. You, Corinthian church. Remember, this is written to a whole church. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So Paul is writing to a local church, you're the body of Christ, and individually you make up that body. Each person is a member of that body. So a Christian, any Christian, is part of Jesus' church. That's why it's important that we never give up affirming that within Hillview Community Church, all Christians are part of God's family here at Hillview. And especially if you've settled here for more than a few weeks, if this is home to you, you're part of the church family here, whether you are a member or not. Please let me hear that so clearly. It's one of the things that we say, for example, when we come to communion, it's one of the reasons why we stress anyone who loves Jesus as Savior and Lord is welcome, is invited, is encouraged to come and share in this time because we're all part of the body of Christ. So I just want to say that so clearly. And before we come to think of, as we're going to just now, why do we have a formal church membership? I want to acknowledge that there are a number of scenarios where that is not possible. I'm not at all trying to make anyone feel guilty today, okay? There are scenarios where it's not the right season or it's not the right moment for the coming years, and, and, and that's, that's right and good, okay? So I get that. What I am trying to do today is just lift up the beauty of how God has, I think, in normal circumstances, ordained for His church to operate. 
The question I'm asking mainly today is, why do we have a formal membership? If it's true that I've said any Christian is part of the body of Christ, why does Hillview have a membership role? And this is where I would love to be able to turn to the verse where it says, and behold, I say unto you, you shall join as a church member and be involved in this ministry and fix the roof and all the rest of it. But the, the Bible doesn't work like that. I mean, one of the gifts of the Scriptures is that sometimes it's unbelievably specific and clear. But other times, what is clear are principles. There are crystal clear principles that actually God has chosen to not give tons of detail as to how that principle plays out. Why? So that those principles can be brought into practice in churches across the world, across history. So principles that are applicable for us here in cults and for the church in Malawi that we pray for so often and so on. So we recognize, just as as thinking about that, another thing I just want to recognize is that there are many wonderful churches who think of these matters differently to how we do at Hillview. So so we shouldn't hold these too tightly. This is not the only right way to, to, to structure how church family what church family looks like. And yet, I think it is appropriate for us and wise for us as this particular local church to have good convictions, strong convictions, as to why we have organized ourselves the way we have. So very practically, I want to look at some reasons from the Scripture as to why we have a membership and why we so regularly would encourage you to become a member. In fact, if I'm honest, I feel like I've not done a great job of that over the last few years. We probably could have been more consistent in sharing about that. And also, as we do this, brothers and sisters who are part of Hillview Community Church, who are members in the church, I want you to, to listen to what is laid out here and to, to ponder your own life, your own engagement in the church against what we're looking at here. So please turn to Acts chapter 1. Um, Because what we're going to see, we're going to look through the first few chapters of Acts, and we're going to see that records, records were kept within the life of the early church. So let's read from chapter 1 and verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The company of persons was in all about 120 And I love that because I bet you around this room, there's very close to about 120 people. And I just love to think, well, look what God did from 120 people. That was the last time all the followers of God could fit in one room. Love it because Peter's about to preach and thousands are going to come to faith, right? Here we are, 120-ish of us, Hillview. And and here, there's, there's an acknowledgement of the number that have gathered. And then over into Acts chapter 2, God's Holy Spirit comes in the most incredible way. We have this outpouring of God's goodness, God's presence, God's, God himself. And then Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, which, to be honest, just follows the pattern of most of the sermons in Acts, which is Peter basically saying, uh, this is who Jesus is. This is who you thought he was. <clears throat> this is who he really was. He died. He's risen. He's exalted. Get to know this Jesus. And then, so Peter preaches a sermon very much like that in Acts chapter 2. Then let's read from verse 37 of Acts 2. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, 
and you will receive the gifts of, sorry, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then jump down to verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul was clarifying what this baptism that's happening here in Acts chapter 2, what this baptism was doing. You were baptized, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, you were baptized into the church of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 2. We're baptized into one body is the language in 1 Corinthians 12. About 3,000 were added initially to that number. And and here's the point. I want you to recognize this was 3,000 people who were not part of the church and then who were added to the number of the church. There's, There's a sense of what those numbers were. And that's the first time of a number of times we see this in Luke. Turn over to chapter 4. Look at verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men on this occasion came to about 5,000. 5,000. So there is at least some record being kept of how is the church growing? What does this look like? Now, admittedly, these numbers are very general in the way that they are recorded. About 3,000 were added that day of Pentecost. But he does then go on, the writer of Acts, Luke, he goes on to record how the church brings some organizational clarity to how they operated. Um, So yes, there's this amazing explosion of the grace and power of God. And alongside that, yes, there was administration that grew up, an organization that grew up. These things should not be in conflict. Some of us perhaps love, yeah, the Holy Spirit fell. Thousands were added to their number, yeah. And not so bothered about organization. And maybe others of you are wired to to say, well, that's wonderful that people came to faith, but how did they operate? And how did, you know, we're all different, right? Uh, but, but, But what we see in Acts is both and. Amazing outpouring of God's power. And then they get organized together. And that's important. You know, in 1 Corinthians 14, yes, it's in the context of worship, but it's just really clear. Paul says, everything in the church should be done in a fitting and orderly way, right? So it's appropriate that we examine these sorts of things. So after the incredible growth in the first days of the early church, they did not just leave it as this undefined movement, but they organized. Turn turn over, please, to Acts chapter 6. And look at verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that is, if maybe check your footnote, it's the, the, the Jews who spoke Greek. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. That is the daily distribution of food. So there's this increase in number, and as happens in that context, problems arise problems arise. Some people are being missed out of this important distribution of food. So let's read first part of verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, right? So maybe they did know the exact number of who was following after Jesus at the time, because there is the gathering of the full number of the disciples. Let's keep reading. Um, And said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables, Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves 
to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So do you see here? There are leaders, the 12 apostles, and then there are men chosen from among the believers for specific roles. And then in verse 5, it says the whole gathering has a role to play in how this is worked out. Now, what does that mean, the whole gathering? It's the gathering of those in the church, the members of the church. We see this other times in Acts, groups of individuals being referred to. It all suggests that there are definable groups within this incredible movement that God is birthing so that the ministry of God can function well and for other important reasons which we're, we're going to look to. We can also see this, by the way, in the New Testament in the way that different individuals are mentioned to other churches. So we see, for example, in some letters, um, some people are commended to another church and they say, hey, welcome this person into your midst as part of the church family there. And then also, sadly, others are warned about, be careful of this person. Do not welcome that person into the midst of the family of God in that context. Now, this becomes important when we think practically as to how we organize ourselves regarding numbers, regarding organization. How do we make decisions? together, important decisions. And again, we see this in Acts. So turn over, please, to Acts chapter 15. And there's a, just one example of a hugely important moment in God's unfolding work. So Acts chapter 15, verse 6, says this, the apostles, we're not going to get into the detail of what this particular issue is about, but it's about how it's played out. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Apostles, elders together. Look down now at verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them. Jump down to verse 22. So we've got apostles, elders, the whole assembly, assembly. Verse 22, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch to Paul and Barnabas. The whole church are involved in this important matter. Now, we're going to see Jesus use the same word here in Acts chapter 15, ecclesia, that is the gathering of the church, okay? We're going to see Jesus use the same word in Matthew chapter 18. And if you would please turn there, because Jesus didn't have a lot to say, actually, about the church, how the church should operate, but he is super clear here in Matthew chapter 18 from verse 15. And this is very significant. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, the ecclesia, the gathering of God's people. Tell, sorry, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile 
and a tax collector. So you have this incredibly serious moment, the situation of someone's sinful behavior being confronted. And if they don't listen, the church is to make the final call as to whether someone should remain part of the fellowship or be, quote, treated as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, we've got to say two things about that. First of all, how did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? He loved them. He drew alongside them. He, he desired fellowship with them, right? So just because someone is removed from the fellowship of a church doesn't mean we're mean to them, doesn't mean we cut them off. We, we show love just like Jesus did. But it is making a significant point that they are no longer to be considered as part of the living, active fellowship, membership of the church of Jesus Christ. Really significant. Now, do you see how this necessitates some sort of church membership? If someone among us consistently engages in some sort of sinful, disruptive behavior, whatever that might be, you know, continual gossip, continual divisive spirit, angry, vitriolic, scary words towards one or more people in the church, or you could go on and on and on. And, and, and we follow Jesus' example, go with one, take two or three witnesses along with you. And, and that person is, is obstinate and pushes away the counsel and the pleading, come back to Jesus. This way of life, this way of behavior is not consistent with new life in Jesus. I'm worried for you, sister. I'm worried for you, brother. Come back. Come back to the narrow path that leads to fullness of life. That's the tone, right, that we come with pleading and tears for someone who is on a path towards destruction, if that person is determined to walk away from God and His will and His ways, it is the church who are to be involved in the process of tragically removing that person from fellowship. And the question is, what church are we talking about here? The universal church? No. The church of Aberdeen? No. We're talking about Hillview. It's those within Hillview. Now, is it just those who have been visiting for a few weeks who are involved in those sorts of things? No, of course not. Is it those who have been coming along for month after month, but for, for whatever reason, sometimes good reason, as I said before, but sometimes not good reason, have chosen to, to, to stay somewhat at arm's length from getting involved in what God is doing in the church? Are they to be involved in these sensitive, difficult, heartbreaking matters? No. No, that wouldn't be appropriate. Some understanding of membership is required here. But not only does that passage highlight that there needs to be a defined group of people who make these decisions, it also highlights this fact, this hard, difficult fact, that sometimes someone needs to be removed from fellowship. And, 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 and here's the thing. The New Testament assumes that reality, that there is an in and an out with regard to fellowship in the body of Christ. Now, I want to be careful here because when you read the Gospels and you read how Jesus interacts with people, sometimes the point <laughs> that someone would go from out to in with Jesus is almost impossible to discern. There are some clear examples. For example, Zacchaeus, who's an example of someone who clearly, you know, 
responded to God, his life was changed, and salvation has come to this home today, Jesus says. Or a sadder example, the rich young ruler who Jesus lays out before him what it looks like to follow him. It says he went away sad because he cherished his, his riches. But for many, so sometimes it's clear, but for many, there is this literal sense of being on a journey with Jesus. And there are many points of realizing who Jesus is and stumbling along the way. One of the interesting tasks to do is to look at the life of Peter and ask the question, when did Peter become a Christian? <laughs> because it's, there's so many different markers in his life that you, it's not clear to know when someone goes through. So, so yes, there is an in and out, but we have to be very careful here about how we speak about these things. We should have massive patience for those encountering Jesus. But there is also certainly a moment where someone is either part of the church or is not. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I think this is one of the most important chapters in the Bible when it comes to how we live together as the people of God. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 5. It is actually reported, <laughs> Paul's just incredulous about this, right? It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, Corinthian church. Remember, he's speaking either to one local church or to a group of local churches. There's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his, that is, has a relationship with his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And if present, I have already pronounced and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan. Now, why? I mean, that's brutal language, right? But listen to why. Deliver, this is the purpose of this. We call this church discipline, right? This is, this is the purpose of church discipline. Deliver this person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now, that could mean a couple of different things, but certainly what it is meaning is the, the, the fleshly, sinful nature, that old way before we are made alive in Jesus Christ, deliver this person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. That's the purpose of church discipline, not to get rid of that person doing that awful thing. No, it's that, again, it's that pleading it's that pleading that you're in danger of going out from among us because you were not of us, as it's put in, I think, First John. You're living in such a way that it screams that you're not in Christ, you're not alive in Jesus. So, so we need to not keep pretending here. That's the point of First Corinthians 5. You, you need to come off this membership list as hard as this is so that you can Deal with the sin in your life just like we all have to deal with the sin in our life. Come to Jesus for his grace and mercy so that your spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Look down to verse 12. And then this is so key, right? Because we, we get this flipped upside down in the church. We, we often are, are, are not too quick to care about what is happening within the confines of the church, and we're very quick to judge outside. <laughs> and, and Paul says it's to be the complete opposite. 
from this. Verse 12, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. And my point here mainly is, how can such a removal be possible if that person is not considered a member from that which they are to be removed? I mean, this sort of response is so delicate and so heartbreaking, and it is not to be directed at someone who's just visiting this church for for a few weeks. But this is for those who are, as it says in verse 1, those who are among you, among us part of the church. We have to know who the church is to navigate these hard things. Another reason we have to know who is in the church is so that we can love and relate to one another well. One of the things that we say in this membership covenant is that we will submit. And we say we'll submit to God and the scriptures as the elders do likewise. There's a caveat, right? It's not... um, the word I'm looking for. It's not ultimate, the elders' role in the church. It's, it's to the degree that the elders are submitting to God. You should submit to the elders. As brothers and sisters, we will submit to one another in love. Now, there have sadly been so many horrific abuses of this word, submit. You just have to acknowledge that it's happened in history. It happens across the church in Jesus Christ. Now, there are things in all of our lives that would um, that would twist what this really is. But as, as we want to establish structures in the church that would safeguard against that happening, and we, ha- we have some, um, but also we should pray for God to grant us a picture of how beautiful this can be in life together. So I've, I've mentioned a few of them here. I'm going to just run through these quickly. Ephesians 5 verse 24, the church is to submit to Christ. Every single person within this church is to acknowledge that Jesus is our chief shepherd. Jesus is our senior pastor. He is the one that we all submit to. The church is to submit to one another, Ephesians 5, 21, out of reverence for Christ. We are to lovingly prefer others' needs to our own. We're to teach and admonish one another and submit when we hear God's word spoken to us. And Hebrews 13, 17, the church is to submit to its leaders. Listen to these words. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I could also um, look at First Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13, but we don't have time. It talks about those who are, uh, have care for your souls. Um, the question is this, how does this accountability and submission work without a sense of who we have committed to in relationship? We're to submit to one another. Everyone? No within the body of Christ, within the membership of Hillview Community Church? Is it that a visitor should submit to the leadership of the elders? No, of course not. It's those who have chosen formally to say, I am submitting myself to the, the structures in this church. And by the way, here is the other side of that coin. You know, that passage in Hebrews thirteen seventeen speaks of the elders having to give an account to God for every soul within the church. 
Who are the elders to give an account for? Just anyone who walks through the door, stays for 10 minutes and, and, and leaves? No, not at all. We, this is to be, the, the, it's a solemn, heavy reality that the elders are to give an account before God for the members of the church, people who are part of the church family. I don't know exactly where God will draw those lines. I, I trust Him and His kindness. But the point is, the elders have to give an account, and that's a, a significant reality. And I just want to say one last thing, just as an aside on this point. Membership plays a very crucial role in how us elders navigate matters in the church. In our meetings, as challenges come off, as challenges come about, as, as difficulties rise in the church, and by the way, as wonderful encouragements come, one of the questions that we have to ask regularly is, is that person a member? It changes a lot about the way that we can engage with a situation. If someone has chosen to come into the church and to acknowledge the authority and the leadership of the elders, it makes a big difference. We need to know who the church is if we want to see this key biblical practice of accountability and submission among us. We're running late. So I, the last one I was wanting to mention was just the privilege in the church of knowing love and care. And the point here is that, of course, as the church of Jesus Christ, we're to love all people, we're to care for all people, we're to give our lives for those outside of the church. Of course we are. But it's also clear that in the New Testament that there is a special priority to be given to love and care for those within the church. Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Acts 20, 28, pay careful attention to yourselves, he writes to the elders, and to all the flock of God. So yes, we should show love and concern for all people, but there is a special care and attention to be given to those who are part of the church of Jesus Christ. Friends, what a glorious, tricky, confusing, messy, difficult reality the church of Jesus Christ is. But it is so beautiful that God would draw people as diverse and different as us together. And we need to seek to live faithfully before God. We are to be connected together as members of the body of Christ. That is not primarily at all about admin or being on a list or anything like that or voting. It is a glorious invitation to participate in the work that Jesus has to do in Aberdeen in our time. And, and ultimately, my plea is, do you know Jesus? Are you alive in him? And are you connected in the body as part of that work? Will you come and join in membership in the church of Jesus Christ? And if you are a member, are you living well, intentionally, carefully, lovingly towards your sisters and brothers. May God grant us his grace and his power as we walk forward together as his church. Let's pray. Father, one of my favorite verses 
which many people have heard me say a number of times, is when Paul is considering the reality of his ministry and his care for those in the church, and he says, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? And we just say, Lord, honestly, in our own strength, none of us is sufficient for these things. And we also just acknowledge humbly and honestly before you that we've sinned against you and against one another. We've preferred our own way. We've acted in selfishness. We've acted unwisely, uncaringly. Lord, we just acknowledge that reality and we pray for your forgiveness and your mercy upon us. And we pray, Lord, for wonderful days ahead for Hillview Community Church. We pray that you would help us love one another well. Gather consistently. Care for one another. Give to one another and to your work. Serve in the ministry of this church. Pray for one another and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ and how precious it has been today to just acknowledge your presence here, to acknowledge your goodness, your greatness. Lord, as we consider you, our senior pastor, the chief shepherd, as we consider the reverence that we should and we pray by your grace, do feel for you, Lord. I pray that we would have this wonderful picture of you at the head of this body and us deeply connected members one of another. Help us, we pray. Lead us on. Grow us. Multiply us in every way, in ministry, in discipleship, in church planting. Lord, do a wonderful work, we pray, in these coming years. Thank you for what you are doing, and help us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.